Welcome to Vino Week, episode 13, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We got a lot of great topics uh, this time around. I guess we always do, but uh, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, you know, as the globe spins around, there's no dearth of just stuff to talk about. Man, people are people, yeah. and stuff happens. So, um, where do you want to? Where do you want to start here? Um, uh, I, you know, the thing that's um, this is kind of a little bit. Uh, let's just start with the cuvee. Did you see that? I did. I did. I'd love that idea. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that idea. Well, I think the. <laughs> You know, I, there's well, at least in the United States, right? There's sort of less families, and there's more single people, right? So, you know, something that preserves makes it better to preserve wine uh, makes sense. Um, you know, I think the article did a good job of sort of outlining that. Hey, this is a cool sort of sol- well. Maybe we should describe what this thing is first. Well, essentially, to me, you know, and. They haven't rolled it out yet. I mean, there's kind of a little cheesy picture in the article. But essentially what it is, is it's um, if you're familiar with and who isn't, if you're familiar with the Keurig coffee makers, it's the same model, but for a wine uh, dispenser. Wine can, you know, yeah. Wine yeah, so, so you have a machine that and you get these uh, refillable bottles, which would be, I guess, uh, analogous to the. To a pot, and uh, you put it in, and it pours you one glass of wine. The contents that are inside the bottle stay fresh because it's actually, you know, it's a a self-contained wine preservation system. And you know, you have your one glass of wine, and you're good to go. It's great for a single person, or if you just want to have one glass of wine, versus opening up a bottle. You open it up, you have your glass, and then you know, as soon as you open it up, the wine's basically done. So everyone's been trying to figure out a way to save wine but this really is kind of a it's a convenience play is 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 what is how i see it yeah and you know people will pay people pay for that stuff yeah so pay for convenience so and they they're they're i've spent a little time in the sort of startup business so they're really well they're positioning themselves for success so they've got people from iRobot and the iRobot um, folks are the people that make uh, they make all kinds of robots, but most of us know them from the Roomba, the little you know uh, sweeping and scrubbing robots that um, go around the floors. They also make a whole host of others. They've also, it looks like they've also got other robotics people. So they yes. have a lot of they have a lot of people that um, you know sort of know physical design and know how to put these things together. They've hired somebody from Nantucket Nectars. Um, and then they're plugged into the venture capital business and, and that's, that's good because the, the VCs not only have money, but they also have a lot of connections. So, and it, when you look at this thing, you start talking about it, it makes sense. The model's already sort of been proven by, you know, you know, everything from soda stream to Keurig to, um, Nespresso, right? Um, and that's correct. Yeah. And if you look at the Nespresso business, that you know that business was very much started in in the same pattern that this one was. Very identifiable problem, 
well-staffed people, really well thought through business model, and you know they they won. What I liked about the article is they're like, "Yep, these guys are like they put everything together for success, but you've got to go out and convince producers to put their wine in these canisters." And yeah, and and there's the there's for me is kind of a little bit of the rub because you know I'm I don't drink coffee now. I think I've said this before, but I love coffee, and I'm I'm quite the quite the coffee guy when I do have it. There's a big difference between a properly brewed uh, cup of coffee and a Keurig coffee. And I'm not comparing the two, but in a way I am because it just makes you, I mean, it's the quality part that seems to be, would be the hang up for me. But if you want a glass of wine, I mean, it just seems like, it seems like a really great idea. Nobody else is doing it. Like you said, they have all, they've got a lot of people plugged in and to your point, the hardest thing is going to be getting somebody that makes wine to actually buy into it and actually start putting a product in in the vessel that they're going to be delivering. But I mean, if you go to some of these big, the big, big producers, like the the folks that we, you know, the big, big wine producers, just like, you know, the large, beverage, large, like beer producers, they'll take a risk on this. And, you know, you put these things in places like Target and you're moving the same wine that sells at Target and it actually tastes better because it's preserved a little bit better. Yeah. You might have a winning business model. Is a craft, uh, I'll say it, a craft wine producer, boutique wine producer going to put their wine in these things? No, that's um, not going to happen. I, I just, maybe somebody will take a flyer. <clears throat> I, I just, I, you know, I see the, the boxes that are out there with the, you know, the boxes that have the little bags inside them with the spouts, you know, that's sort of the target here, in my mind at least. Well, it's slated to be released or, or come out in this fall and uh, went to their website and there's really nothing there, but you can you can put your name on their email address and they'll contact you uh, with new news and when it comes out. So should we do that? Yeah, definitely. Just stay, kind of stay I, on top I think of the other, You know, I think the other interesting iteration of this would be that I could take a canister and I could put a bottle of my wine in that canister. It would seal it. The canister would seal somehow and then I could dispense. Like that seems like a better idea. Because then I could use, I could, first of all, I could reuse it, somehow reuse the canisters. Right. But, and then, um, you know, I'm preserving the wine that I want to drink. Of course, that violates their business model because the business model here is the same business model that the razor blade companies came up years ago which is yeah the razor's really cheap but the blades you know you have to continue to buy right and we see that repeated everywhere right yep. printer ink <laughs> coffee pods paper i mean you name it so um it'll be interesting to see what these guys what, what happens with them well the thing with the coffee pods you know i mean in in our business or some of the business that i deal with is people are kind of running away, at least here in, you know, environmental conscious California. People are running away from Keurig machines. I mean, I think it's peaked. And the reason why is the waste. Yeah. You know, you got all this plastic that's going into the landfills. Yeah. We have um, coffee pods that are um, recyclable. Yeah, that's the new trend. They um... And you can also get an insert for your Keurig machine where you can um, effectively use your own brew. Yep. Um, so, you know, there's – and that's sort of 
kind of what I was alluding to with, you know, putting your own wine in there. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing that, because it does make sense. It'd be nice if you could have, if the machine was cool enough to where you could have um, a white one, one for white wine and one for red. I mean, one of the things about the Keurig machine that, and I, I know I keep bringing this up is because I'm really, I know about these machines, is that you can't, you can brew one, say you can brew a, a Colombian blend, and then you want to go and you want to brew a tea. Well, you always end up getting part of the coffee in your tea. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it has its limitations, I guess is what I'm saying, for the machine. So I'm, it'll be interesting to see what type of machine they come up with because, like you said, they've got some pretty heavy hitters as far as uh, innovators in the industry. And it uh, looks like they'll probably come out with something pretty good, I would imagine. Yep, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, that's for sure. Well, where should we jump to next? Um, well, let's sort of just continue on the consumption end, I guess. Okay. Four mistakes every restaurant makes. Oh yeah, that's a that's a pretty good post actually. Yeah, it was really you know so I this basic person is basically um, what's this person's name? The blog's gargantuan wine. I don't know who the actual writer is. Yeah, and I sh I should know his name. Um, I don't have it off the top of my head. Or I'll see if I can find it real quick. But they um. It's basically outlining things that, um, especially if you're, um, uh, you, how can I say this? You know, your senses are very um, sensitive, no pun intended. Um, you know, in a restaurant, you know, he's basically saying wines by the glass and yeah, railing on things in a restaurant that really affect your dining experience. You know, um, overly scented um, hand soap. You know, why can't they do coffee and, um, you know, turning the check around at some, you know, in some reasonable time frame. And what I liked about the article, instead of just whining about these things, and we've all experienced them, right? You have a great meal and yeah. you order a cup of coffee and it's like my my seven-year-old child can make this cup of coffee better. It's like, what happened? Um, and... You know, it's the same sort of thing by the wines by the glass. You know, you drink a, a wine, it's like, wow, you know, how many months has this been open with the, you know, just stuck in a cork? He also he also has a very funny thing to say about Bacubin, which I won't repeat, which just made me ha laugh out loud. Um, yes. But um, go check the article out. It's pretty funny. But it it's it. I think we've all experienced these things. And I, what I, as I was saying, what I liked about the article is he's like, hey. You know, here's the problem. Here's what you need to do about it. Yeah, he offers a solution because a lot of times uh, people complain and rant about something, but they don't really have an idea of what, you know, or any any idea of, of what the solution could be. Right. But, yeah, he offers uh, some pretty detailed solutions. But I never really thought, I must admit, I never really thought about the hand soap thing because it does make sense. You go in there, you wash your hands, and you've got uh, – you know, who knows what on them. And usually it's pretty strongly scented. You go back to your table and you hold your glass up and all you're smelling the whole evening, you know, even when you're eating is that hand soap. It's true. It's so, true. And it, and it, you know, it's funny there. Many people will not make that connection. You know, how was the meal? I was okay. You know, um, but the reason they'll say it's okay is they weren't picking up the rest of the ambiance because they were, 
they were roiling in, you know, cologne selling uh, scented soap, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, you know, it, it, it dulls everything, right? It overpowers and, and you know, takes off. Um, and I think the whole credit, the thing that he's going on about the, um, you know, credit card pieces, I'm consistently amazed in, in restaurants uh, uh, about the, the front of the house, the wait staff, not working together as a team. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I've got my assigned tables and I'm paying attention to them, but every, you know, every patron in that restaurant is a guest. And I, as a wait staff, you were there to make sure they have an awesome experience. And right. That means you're helping out your colleague to make sure, you know, somebody needs water or whatever. And we've all been to those restaurants, right? Where your server isn't, you know, the, the wait, waiter or waitress or the server is not the person that's been taking care of you, but still stops by your table because they've caught your eye or whatever and ask yep. you what you need. You ask them and it actually shows up. Yeah. <laughs> like in a reasonable amount of time. I'm not talking like, you know, two or three hours. It actually like shows up. Same thing with the bill. You know, maybe the person that was waiting on you thought you were fine and went and took a break. There should be somebody paying attention, covering. Yes. I agree. It's, and it's that stuff is so simple to do, but that's the thing that makes your profit skyrocket. Um, it makes people come back. Yeah, because they're like, wow, this place is great. Um, but it's all about, you know, getting the, the wait staff to work as a team. And, and that's no trivial feat. But anyway, that's my little rant on restaurants. Yeah, and it seems like the the whole ex- like he he kind of is a nice little picture. He's got a picture of people at the table, and it's all skeletons. You know, apparently just they're famished from waiting for the bill and trying yes. to pay to get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let my people go. <laughs> it's also a nice picture of Chuck Eston. Yeah, I, I yeah that is great. I can't. Um, I never could understand the bad coffee. I mean. Because a lot of a lot of restaurants are they're so into the details for all the other things, but I mean the final thing, you know, and then they just kind of just really blow it. And I I never could get that. And the and don't even get me started on the wines by the glass. You know, my my biggest pet peeve is being served, um, you know, a red wine that's you know s- sitting on the counter, you know, right next to the toaster or whatever. You know, it's <laughs> on just, top of the dishwasher. It's just. It, it's it's unbelievable. On top of the glass dishwasher. Yeah, what somebody the dishes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, somebody needs to um and and to... the restaurant has a, som- a sommelier. Yes. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> where did you get where did you where did you get where did you train? It's far it's far too common. It's it's the simplest little thing and it always it always gets missed and there's nothing worse than getting a, a red wine at room temp. You know, it's 70 or 75 or whatever the heck degrees it's at. I mean, it just tastes horrible, whatever it is. Or it's been in the fridge all day. Yes. You know, so. I mean, it's just, and it's these little, it, uh, these things are not hard, but make, <laughs> you know, guy, spend your money at on a, on a nice restaurant. You know, I can do all of this stuff at my house, pretty much all of it. And I can do it better than most of the restaurants that I go to. So why am I going out to eat? I'm only going out to eat because I don't feel like cooking. Cooking, yes. It's for convenience. Yep, it's only for convenience, which is, you know, horrible. And even, it's even true around higher-end restaurants. It's like, wow, we're dropping, you know, you know, 
you know, hundred. You go out and spend a hundred bucks a person on a special dinner. Man, that thing better be perfect. <laughs> and it's pretty easy to spend a hundred dollars. Well, by the time person. you bought it, look, you're pretty, yeah. you're gonna buy a bottle of wine that's that you know is nice because this is a nice dinner, maybe a celebration. You're gonna spend fifty bucks plus on wine. Yeah. Or, or you're going to bring your own and you're still going to pay a, you know, you're going to still pay corkage and then you buy appetizers and you buy mains and you have dessert. You're looking at, it's easy, you north of a hundred bucks. Um, so uh, anyway, it, it, it's just, it, it's amazing what, um, you know, what passes, right? Yeah, we're, we're going up to Davila tonight and we usually take a bottle, but I mean, even when we take a bottle after you said, after we've got the, the bill and everything, I mean, it's, it's always, it's 120, 130 bucks, yeah. you know, and that that's just because we're not buying the wine there. So, right. So in, in sort of uh, a great segue here is the, um, uh, the, the Washington post had this article on, you know, that the headline is a crippling problem restaurant goers haven't noticed but chefs are freaking out about it's basically an article detailing how there's a dearth of culinary talent and you know not the people who are on food tv or any of the tv shows but the people who are actually doing the cooking in the kitchen um and what was really kind of weird in this article for me is like he's talking about how there's less immigration happening yes and you know there are there are a lot of people who immigrate into the U.S. who ended up in the kitchen. Um, so there's a lot of drivers here. It's, you know, the fact that people aren't going to culinary school or they're coming out of culinary school with a lot of debts. Um, I think it was this article we were talking about the, you know, the average, um, you know, profit margins in a restaurant about four and a half percent on average. That's being generous, by the way. Yes. Uh, that, so, having owned having owned a couple of restaurants, um, it's really slim. So that's the median profit margin for yeah. mid level establishments. So you know what that means, right? There's a whole yes. bunch of people behind and a, a few and and people ahead, but that's Good not point. a big margin. Yeah. Um, you know, one wrong thing, you um, um, something goes wrong in the kitchen, your entire profit margin for the evening can be gone. Yes, very easily. Um, and it's it's, it's not- a really great post, and it's by Robert Roberto Roberto Ferdman, and uh, it's in the Washington Post. I think you mentioned. Uh, you know, when I was, that's how I learned. Is is uh, you know, when I was in college, I was pretty good at speaking Spanish, because the back side of the house, you know, I waited at the tables, but the back side of the house, all of the kitchen crew, or not all of it, but a, a fair amount of it, you know, they were Hispanic. So, I mean, I learned Spanish <laughs> by working in a restaurant. And, you know, that's these people, they work hard and they work extremely, extremely long hours and they don't get paid very well. Right. Oh, well, and the other thing, too, that he brings up in the kitchen, if you've ever worked in a commercial kitchen, um, it, it's a hostile work environment. It really is. It's so frenetic. It, it's slippery. <laughs> The, the floors are all slick because you're not cleaning up. I mean, everything goes on the floor. You know, you're you're just basically clearing your work surface um, and chopping up something else. Yeah, and well, you're prepping. I mean, you're cooking. So, you know, or you're getting slammed with orders. There's fire everywhere. Yep. There's hot liquid everywhere. Um, you know, so you're getting burned and you're getting cut. You're cutting yourself. 
Um, it's it's not a it's hot. It's cramped. Bill, you know, what are you what are you saying? It's not glamorous like food TV. Bam! Exactly, yeah, exactly. It's not like that. It's not. It's not. <laughs> It's not. And in fact, I, I, I distinctly remember right after I came to California, I was working with a person who um, shortly after I started my first gig here in California, he left and went to culinary school. And um, I saw him. I literally like was coming home one night after going out. This is like, you know, one o'clock in the morning and I ran into him. He was just leaving work. And I said, how's it going? And Loved his job, but, you know, was, you know, basically he was leaving at one. He had to be back at like 930 in the morning for prep the next day. Yeah. He was working in um, I, I like post trio. So he was working in a very high end restaurant mm-hmm. and, you know, he was essentially doing the same thing every day in terms of what he was cooking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he had clearly found his passion, so he's loving it. But as he's describing sort of his work environment, I'm like, man, I got a good cake. <laughs> yeah exactly and then you know and he's talking about the you know he took a huge pay cut effectively i mean he effectively cut his pay in half and of course you know he's like i want to do this for another three to five years and then try to go out on my own so you know and that's the sort of end path for you know people who have aspirations in this business um you know there there's a whole host of things wrapped up in here people think that the um you know you're going to throw your shingle out in the restaurant business and make a ton of money. It's well, it's, it's yeah. Different. And it's, it's the, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, no, it's, it's how it's glamorized. You know, I mean, I, it's, I don't, I hardly ever watch television, but you know, you see these, um, these shows where they have people cooking and they got the elaborate setup and they're on TV and it's like, God, that sounds like that'd be awesome. And then right after that, the culinary school ad comes on and, you know, they get these kids that are really young and, gee, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. God, that's, that seems like a great thing. So next thing you know, they're enrolled in some culinary school and they're in it. You know, they're taking out a loan for twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. They go through the school, they get through the program, they get out. They've got this loan debt. Yeah. And the only thing that they're going to be able to do because they don't have any experience, nobody knows who they are, is go in the back and chop up potatoes. No. And I mean, it's it's got to be just like a smack in the face. Yeah. Well, it's you know, you know, you should go in that business eyes wide open. Right. And it, it <laughs> really it, you know, it really comes. It, it's much more. So in my opinion, it's much more uh, a business that is suited to uh, like a trade. You know, you'd be better off just going to a high end restaurant and say, hey, I'm here. You know, what do you want me to do? Exactly. Like, oh, go start sorting lettuce. Yep. And you might have to do that for a year. Or longer. Much better way to go about it than to go to one of those uh, pseudo uh, yeah, <laughs> cooking schools. School. And they have their place, right? I mean, you get experienced in that trade that way and then go to culinary school. You get your credential. You get exposure to techniques you may not have been exposed to. Yes. But, but then you've got the background of, you know, I, you know, I remember the restaurant I worked in, you know, you know, those hours were those hours, right? You know, you're working 12 hour days. I, I wasn't complaining because I was watching the owners of the business work 14 hour days. They were there when I left and they were there when I came in in the morning. Exactly. And they got to order food. They got to write menus. They got to manage staff. They got to keep track of, you know, making sure people aren't stealing from them. Um, 
People do. People in your restaurant walk off with stuff. Oh, oh God, it's the worst thing. Oh, the hardest thing about owning a restaurant is your employees. They, they, Even, won't, they won't miss this bottle of wine, this, you know, $100 <laughs> bottle of wine. Or look at that beautiful steak. I'm just going to take it. Um, happens all the time. So anyway, I'm sure both of us can rant on for a while about this, but it uh, it's not as glamorous as one might think. But man, if it's your passion, there's no better place to be. So uh, let's see what else we got going on here. We have anything else restaurant related? I think we might. But, well, let's see. Uh, no, we don't. No, we can. But we can keep transitioning. So right into sort of front of house hospitality, Napa Valley Register about the new um, tasting rooms in Napa Valley. Um, stunning picture of Phelps tasting room, this red, beautiful redwood tasting room. Um, but new tasting rooms at Phelps, Odette, and Starmont. Um, it's good to see people spending money on that stuff. Well, that's where the uh, that's where the money is apparently. Um, I, that picture is unbelievable. As you know, when I looked at that, and I I, I looked at it this morning, I was thinking. God dang, I, we should go over there today. Yeah, I mean, it's only an hour away. Shoot, I should drive over there. I but I mean, we've got too many things to do. But my God, it looks awesome. We'll have to definitely check it out sometime. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, somebody, the, t- I, I'm consistently amazed at some of the tasting rooms I go into. It's just like jaw dropping, beautiful. Well, this is the new way that people are selling wines. I mean, the, what, what's happening is there's more wineries now than there are distributors, and whereas years ago, you know, it was the opposite. Yeah. So, you know, the way to get people to to enjoy your product and to keep buying it is to invite them out to your estate yeah. and have them have a nice food and wine experience. Get to know the people that are actually, you know, if a lot of times you can get to know the owner. Or, you know, you can see them walking through and strike up a conversation with them and find out how they got into the business. And and um, it creates a, a bonding experience for the consumer. And when you have that type of experience, I mean, you're going to be more likely to always gravitate back to getting that product and, you know, continue buying it. So that's what people are doing. And um, we've got Odette Winery, which is Odette's part of the Plum Jack. Plum Jack uh, yeah. yeah. Plum so Jack. that's... Uh, yeah, it's Gavin Newsom and all well, of Well, it's, it, it's Getty money. Getty, yes. I'm sorry. It's oil money. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's deep pockets. <laughs> Very deep pockets. deep pockets. Deep pockets and a lot of power. Let's just put it this way. They have a lot of trust in what Gavin's doing. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's good to be, it's good to be friends with the Getty. <laughs> And Starmont Winery, I've driven by there a bazillion times because it's right after the bridge when you're going into uh, Napa proper. And it's uh, Swiss-owned, I believe. And I've never had their wines. Have you? I have. I've had Maryville. Yeah, I've had the Maryville wines. Those wines are really well made. And they own the, the same family that owns the Starmont. I guess I, I have had their wines then. Well, I mean, to be clear, I mean, we haven't had the Starmont, you know, the Starmont wines themselves. But they, um, yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't. I, I don't think I have. Well, I that's, uh, it's, it's just going to be, those are two really incredible places to go to, I think. 
or three, excuse me. Yeah. And, and, and the, you know, the, the Phelps one is their, it, it's their winery. It used to be their actual uh, production facility, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. They kind so, of, uh, they kind of updated cause the winery was, uh, plus 40 years old, I think. So they kind of, they updated. But it's, uh, all, uh, you know, in all of these places, if you're here are, will be spectacular to visit. Well, I think the one that would be the most interesting, it seems to me, would be the one at Odette. Um, at the bottom, it says uh, they have a vineyard view lunch, which includes a private three course. Uh, it's three course lunch paired with wines. Then you take uh, an educational walk and tour of the organically farmed sustainable state and the gold leadership in energy and environmental design certified winery. And this is one of the things that Gavin's been really getting into is all of the wineries that the, the Gettys or Plum Jack Group are associated with, they're LEED certified. So um, they're uh, very, very green. Cost is a bit steep, 165 a person. So I don't think I'll be going to that today. Yeah, but, but you're getting a, you you know, get a pretty good experience. Yeah, if you're coming to visit, that's, a, yeah. you know, that's probably, if you've never been to a winery like that, and haven't been to Napa Valley, that's probably money. You're probably going to get a lot of value out of it. You are, and you're going to, you'll, it'll be an unforgettable experience. I yeah, think. I mean, it's sort of one of those things. That, oh, this is sort of like the restaurant conversation we were having earlier. You know, you're going to go drop that kind of money. You're probably going to get the experience, the requisite experience, the requisite value out of that in places like that. Because, you know, it's small volume in terms of people that are doing this. So, you know, they can't afford to mess up. You know, you don't want a bad Yelp review. And believe me, I'm sure there's Yelp, you know, people are talking about it. So, um, but it's, it's just, you know, it's in a pretty amazing place and it'll be cool. I love your point there that you don't want a bad Yelp review. I'm going to have to agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it's, people piling on. Yeah. You know, in this day and age with the internet, you know, you, everyone has a mouthpiece. So, you know, and yeah, there are certainly people that try to game that stuff, but you know, most people just write down what they think happened. So, you know, should I drop 165? You know, you search, you know, you start doing a little searching and people are like, nope, not worth it. Well, guess what? <laughs> They'll be refactoring that experience. Yes. So, uh, we got, we have, uh, I mean, dovetailing with that, we've got an article, um, talking about Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, written by Dave Marcus, yeah, and uh, it's in the in the the street, so it's kind of a, a money investing type of uh, magazine. Right. But uh, they talk about uh, people that are in the tech business, how people in the tech business really line up with people in the wine business, and right. you know how there's this uh, symbiotic relationship, and. Silicon Valley Bank seized on this years ago when some of the bigger banks, uh, i.e. Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of America, uh, decided to kind of, you know, get out of that business and focus more on real estate. They found this little hole that wasn't being filled. And uh, that's what the article is basically about. So they put together, they, they hook up and match guests from Silicon Valley with producers in Napa Valley. Is that, is that the long and short of it? Yeah, that's the long and short of it. I think they, they missed some things in terms of the intersection of sort of tech and, and venture capital. There's a well-known early venture capitalist, Bill Hambrick from Hambrick and Quist, Gary Farrell. He underwrote Gary Farrell 
Yep. Um, you know, and in fact, the land, if you go up to Farrell's original winery, the land that's actually behind the tasting room is still owned by Bill Hamrick. Um, so, and that's just one I know. I, there are others, but they're, they're definitely, well, you know, there's close proximity to the Bay Area. You know, it's a great, uh, you know, you take people, you know, what can you do with a group of, of adults? Um, you know, I've been on, you know, on um, team building events where we, you know, we went to wineries. Um, so, yeah, you were talking about t- in terms of the number of uh, the ratio of distributors to wineries and how that sort of flipped from, you know, a lot of distributors and, and not so many wineries to more wineries and less distributors. And the wineries making um, 60% of their revenue from direct sales. I think that number is just going to continue to increase, um, you know, the the legal structures position. Plus if you go talk to any winery, they will tell you like their number one mission is to build their club. Um, Cause it's subscription business. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the wineries, what happens, the reason this has happened is, is a big part of the reason is that if you're a, if you're a small player and you're not making, you know, you don't have like say uh, 200, 300,000 cases of wine that you can, put in somebody's portfolio maybe you just make two thousand cases your wine is going to just get lost in a distributor's warehouse they might pick up your brand but it's their bottle's going to get dusty man yeah. because they they can't you don't make enough wine for them to put it put enough energy in into putting it out on the market and selling it you're just too small so that's part of the reason when you're that small you have to figure out other ways to get your product out the door and that's that's really what's going on. There's there's more smaller wineries than bigger ones. For sure, for sure. All right, so now it's the uh, crime watch segment of the <laughs> um, You know, once again, consistently amazed at people's um, uh, audacity for for um, you know crime. We're we're trying to stay away from the crime watch. No, but this is just like you can't. So Jerry Lee Densberger of St. Helena, <clears throat> no contest, of six felony counts of grand theft. Um, so at Whitehall Lane, so between 0, 09 and 04, 700 grand worth of theft, 650,000 from payroll alterations and 37 thousand almost thirty eight thousand from credit card using the winery's credit card but that's not the capper of the story <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute what she used the money for bill oh well she's you know living like a boss <laughs> i mean you know she you know gambling she didn't have a sick father in the hospital no no <laughs> No. Okay. Travel. She paid her stepson's college tuition. She bought a car. Wow. She just thought she was the winery owner. I uh, guess. Unbelievable. Um, well, do tell. tell oh, yeah. the, the, there's the, a hook here, Bill. Yeah. The, the hook is she used to be the president of the Napa Valley Crime Stoppers. My gosh. So, and for those that don't know, those are the folks that you can call anonymously and provide crime tips to <laughs> solve crimes. Yes, that you heard me correctly. She used to be the president of the Crime Stoppers for Napa Valley. Which, is there is there some irony in that, or just like I don't get it? <laughs> like I don't get it. And Am I using the word properly? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she she. 
her attorney says she accepts responsibility for crimes and she's walking down the road of remorse and rehabilitation. Well, if that's true, why did she plead no contest? Exactly. I'm Very just good saying. Point. <laughs> I'm just saying. And we don't. And to be honest, we don't know the full story. It's entirely possible that that she was led to believe that she could spend that money somehow. I would question that. The credit card. I'm less. You know. You know. The credit card. You know. Okay, I can kind of believe that you were led to the fact that you could put money and spend money on the credit card, but. Payroll alterations, you're, that's fraud. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, Prove seems that, like, you're, you need to go down. And it wasn't over a long period of time. It was uh, it was uh, basically a five-year period. And mind you, over this five-year period, this is when she served as the president of Napa, Napa Valley, Valley yes. Crime Stoppers. Yeah. I, I so know, maybe, maybe she thought she could get away with it. I, whatever. So uh, is one interesting note about that winery is, uh, well, I don't know if it's interesting, interesting or not, but I kind of, when I first moved out here, that winery was called, um, well, it was called Whitehall Lane and it was owned by the Finkelsteins. And I worked at a little restaurant on um, the main drag, Highway 29, right next to the post office, right, kind of like right next to the Opus One property. Yep. And the the young lady that owned that restaurant, her dad, um, Art Finkelstein, owned Whitehall Lane. Oh wow! <laughs> so exactly. when I saw this, I was like, "Wow, that that's going back down memory yeah, lane." Right, right. <laughs> that restaurant's not there anymore. It's just vineyards there now. But um, so Art sold that winery to um, the current owners. He sold it to them. Gosh, I I want to say back in the late nineties or something. But uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting for me anyway, just kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty strange. But uh, she's going to spend some time, uh, nine years she got in prison. Yeah. And she's got to pay back all the credit card debt. Now, how are you going to pay all of that money back? I you mean, make, you okay. make 15 cents an hour in the California penal system. Well, now seriously, you, you're okay. You're going to be uh, in jail for nine years. You're going to get out. She's going to get out. She's 50. 60. Yeah. She'll be yeah. 60. So, uh, I mean, what kind of job is she going to be able to get when she gets out? I mean, it's not going to be the same type of job she had. Well, it certainly won't be the president of Crime Stoppers. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I, I just, uh, you know, like it's you said. A, it's it, just a head scratch or some of this stuff. It's like, yeah. what? I get, you know, and I guess, I like, I understand at some level how it might happen. You're... You know, you're really hurt and you're short this month. You get your backed up, you know, your, your, you know, your college tuition you're trying to help out with. Your back's against the wall and you're like, nah, I'll just, you know, I'll try this one thing one time and it's all I'll need it. And lo and behold, nobody notices. Wow. Months go by. No one noticed. Nobody noticed the payroll got altered. Nobody's even paying attention. I'll do it again. No one notices. And before too long, it's like a drug. You're addicted to it. I mean, the psychology's there that that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, the, you know, it just I mean, becomes routine. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I mean, that's a lot. That's six hundred and fifty thousand dollars in payroll alterations. That's that ain't chicken. You know, that's not chicken change, man. It's over. It was over a hundred k a year, right? For five. Yes, years. that's a lot of. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to just it's be thousands of dollars a month. 
So to just be, and it took him that long to figure out. That's the other thing. Yeah, went on for five years. Five years, and we're not talking about a, a couple of hundred bucks. We're talking thousands a month. Like they yeah. did, they, they like, you know, they're like, who's the accountant? <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you they really, really changed the way that they uh, look at CPA. <laughs> but you know, you hear about this. I, I can't tell you the number of businesses that that you know you hear about this that you know successful business but you know their operations from um you know their sort of back office operations you know it's sort of the business makes money in spite of itself well yeah yeah it it happens and especially if the pockets are deep hey we got one more crime uh story but before we pop to that i'd like to just um i sent you a link for um a wall street journal article by on uh, on, uh, val pochella yeah, and and um, you know the the long and short of it is she kind of uh, you know she kind of said Val Policella not too many people knew about it and it used to be popular back in the day and here I am I'm going to try it again but in the end I can see why it's not very popular. Um, to quote her, she said. Um, uh, many of the Val Policellas I tasted, aside from a half dozen examples, were less than inspiring. And she kind of, I, I took it as she almost kind of panned that particular genre of wine. Right. And she talked about all the wines. She talked about uh, Val Policella, Val Policella Superiore. Yeah, they're uh, different. They're different uh, grades. Yeah, and you can go back to one of our podcasts and you can kind of talk you know, about a little basic before. background yeah. on it. But I took a I took a little uh, <laughs> I was like wait a minute because Valpolicella happens to be like kind of one of my one of my favorite wines in the summertime so I just thought I would mention one for people to get out and try to uh, see what you're missing and that's the Musella it's M U S E L L A Valpolicella Superiore the one that I'm drinking right now it's a 2011. Oh, well, actually, I'm not drinking it right now because it's just, nine in the morning. I was just about to say, how was that for breakfast? <laughs> it goes with my French toast. <laughs> but uh, it's a fantastic ball of uh, Valpolicella. Um, it's very original, and uh, you should try it. People should go out and try it. Yeah, you know what? I, I So Valpolicella, Valpolicella was one of those wines when I first started – when I first – started sort of becoming conscious of wine that I understood maybe or was accessible for me, you know, and I, I can't remember who the producer was and it was also, it's also a reasonably priced wine. Yep. So uh, like, I don't agree with the article and it's her opinion. Like I get it, but yep. it, it, um, I, I think that there are, there's good value. You get good wines for, you know, good money for a reasonable amount of money, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot more going on than she's giving credit from these things. And they're not designed, you know, once again, these wines are not designed to, you know, designed to be had with food. They're not supposed to be, you know, super complicated and complex. They're, you know, they're just, it's just basically a, a you know, a nice bottle of wine you can sit down and have some, you know, dinner with. Um, yeah, not complicated. Perfect for a summer evening. Um, anyway, that's just sort of my thinking about them. And she was I, I, I think they tried a fair number of the 2013s and some 2014s. And those both of those years, not, uh, not a good 
cooler and, and, you know, they had a lot of rain towards the end of the harvest. Yeah. So those wines are not going to be as complex and they're going to be maybe a little bit simpler, as she would say. So keep that in mind. Gotcha. Well, you know what? We should just wrap up there. That's a great way to go out. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, we'll call it good. We'll get, we'll save, uh, the other, uh, yeah, we'll save the, the other, we've got plenty. <laughs> there's always something out going on at crime watch. <laughs> there sure is. Hey, real quick. The hose masters, uh, he uh, he's good. Excellent. <laughs> if you if you listen to our uh, previous podcast, you'll you'll know what we're talking Post about. Postmaster of wine and <laughs> Al, you're uh, unfortunately I'm not going to accompany you tomorrow, but you're off to a um, a major event. Yeah, going to the family winemakers, man. That's uh, that's an annual uh, showing for us. A very large show here in California, and um, going to miss you, buddy. I, I I'm. I, Jealous, I can't go, but I know you can. Duty, God, duty, duty, family duty, duty calls, yeah. Um, I'm I'm surprised at the marketing uh, crush that's already no pun intended there. Um, already started to happen. Yeah, I've got a lot of uh, my inbox is just filled with like come by and um, and at some level it's nice. It's like oh, you know, you know, come by and see what I've got. Yeah, yeah, and we'll try. Well, I'll try to get to. You know, a fair number of them. Obviously, I can't go to all of them, but um, it's a it's a lot of wineries there. Yeah, it's a lot of hundred plus wineries and and hundreds of wines. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll I'll uh, have my notepad out and I'll be uh, taking pictures and doing what I can, and we'll have a we'll have a post out on that as soon as possible. Fabulous. All right. Well, have a great one. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Bye bye.